This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. Peatlands are a type of wetland which occur in almost every country and are known to cover at least 3% of global land surface. The term peatland refers to the peat soil and the wetland habitats growing on the surface. Peatlands are an integral part of our ecosystem. They are the largest natural terrestrial carbon store and can store more carbon than all vegetation types in the world combined. Sadly, these areas have been undervalued for years, often seen as a no-man's land or one that only has value if modified for some quote-unquote better use. So working towards improving the image of peatlands are the good people from the People for Peat Coalition, who over the last four years have supported peatland communities in Southeast Asia to promote sustainable use of peatland in ASEAN, and it was also a platform to coordinate peatland management and haze mitigation efforts across eight ASEAN countries. So the Malaysian Tropical Rainforest Conservation and Research Centre, or TRCRC, were also part of the coalition. And today on the show, they're going to join me to share more about the People for Peat program. They're also going to shed more light on their achievements thus far and what the project was all about. Joining me to do that are Mariam Ghani. She's a stakeholder engagement and communications manager with TRCRC. She also spearheaded something called the Peatland Tales video project. Also with us, Dr. Lee Jo Kian, lead analyst from TRCRC. Welcome both of you. How are you today? Excellent. Thank you so much, Juliet. It's good to see you again. Good to see you again. Thank you so much for joining me today. So yes, we caught up. We can't even remember what year it was, uh, Joe. We caught up a while ago <laughs> to talk about people for Pete, right? And uh, I understand now that the that project has actually come to a close, right? After four years, am I right? That's right. Okay, all right. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, but let's maybe do a 101 on peatlands. Yeah, shall we start with that? Maybe first of all, uh, maybe Joe, I can ask you, where can we find them here in Malaysia? Okay, in Malaysia specifically, you have most of our peatlands along the coast of Sarawak, and uh, that's probably about eight hundred to one million, eight hundred thousand hectares or to a million hectares somewhere there. You have some in Sabah along the coast as well, and in West Malaysia, you have them um, in Pekan in Pahang and also along uh, North Selangor in the west coast. So there are some other smaller ones uh, dotted around as well, but those are the main ones that we usually talk about in Malaysia. With uh, ASEAN, we're, we're, then we're talking about Indonesia having about 14 to 20 million hectares, depending on who you ask, because it <laughs> depends on the classification of peatlands and uh, what the criteria are for classifying them so. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I guess, you know, this, I don't know if this is going to be something that you answer as well. Let's, let's go through the basics of why they are so awesome. Well, I think you actually covered most of it in your introduction earlier, but I think uh, to maybe add a little context to it, when we're faced with the climate crisis right now, with the primary focus being get as much uh, CO2 out of the air as possible or keep as much in the ground as possible, mm-hmm. peatlands having that much carbon both in the above ground biomass and also the layers and meters and meters of peat underground is basically a giant carbon store, mm. all concentrated in the small areas for you to keep it there so you don't disturb other land users. It would be silly not to take that opportunity to take care of those uh, small areas relatively compared to the rest of the landscape mm. to keep the carbon in the ground and then invest in huge areas elsewhere trying to keep carbon in the ground with much less success. Okay. And, you know, the other things also, like, I mean, the biodiversity in these areas is quite unique as well, isn't it? Yep. Because they uh, a lot of it evolved in the specific conditions of the peatlands. So that includes um, very high acidity in the water and also maybe having like the plants being used to seasonal inundation or maybe permanent inundation. Mm-hmm. So a lot of plants that grow there can't really grow very well elsewhere. And other plants that are not 
originally found in peatlands, usually find it very difficult to cope in those situations. Mm. So when you sort of like remove those those habitats from them, they basically there's no way nowhere else that they can survive, isn't it? Well, they might straggle around for a bit. They definitely aren't going to be thriving anymore. Mm, okay. All right. So, okay. So unique biodiversity as well. And I think something else that you guys work on as well through People for Peat, uh, there's a lot of socioeconomic value as well uh, attached to peatlands, isn't it? Yeah, increasingly, I think once uh, people started realizing we do need to find ways to protect peatlands and we, we start tapping into traditional knowledge in, of the areas and looking at the kinds of uh, alternative crops that are in these areas, then you know, they start, people started thinking about different value chains that could be had. Of course, it's, a lot of it is still preliminary, the most advanced probably being Sago, the mm. Sago value chain. Mm-hmm. But um, there's a lot of opportunity in these areas, in peatlands, for various non-timber forest products. But uh, I think the more important part is finding uh, ways to establish a proper value chain that works rather than having just the potential to create good products. We know that it is going to create good products. We know that value is to be had there, Mm -hmm. but it has to compete um, with existing products. It has to have its place in the market. There has to be off-takers. And so that system, that value chain needs to be built up. And that requires uh, uh, both governmental support, investors that are willing to take the risk. And that that should be the focus of what we want to do. If we're going to try to make um, peatlands, sort of pay for themselves in a way. <laughs> yeah. And the problem is also that, you know, they're not the most appealing looking in terms of like, yeah, you know, they're not like beautiful rainforests in that sense, right? So I think that also, I don't know, would I be right in saying that con- contributes to the fact that they are undervalued? No, I, I definitely agree. Actually, they are really beautiful when you look at them from outside, like from the drones and all that. You look at the pictures, they're absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Black waters, lush forests, but if you walk into one, <laughs> it's a different matter. You get eaten alive by the mosquitoes and ants and stuff. Okay, so, okay. All right. Okay. So not the most pleasant like, in that sense, right? Yeah, but yeah. but definitely, I mean, so much value and undervalued. Like, that's the crux of it, right? Talk to me a little bit about the threats. So, um, and, and these are to intact uh, peatlands, right? I mean, what are some perhaps management issues? Uh, what are some root causes of like uh, peatland uh, degradation? Either of you? The, I'll say the main, um, the main issue that peatlands face is uh, land conversion. Mm -hmm. And because peatlands exist within the water basin, so to speak, we call them peat hydrological units. Mm -hmm. And land concessions were divided out at a time when we didn't know the extents of these hydrological units. And so you could say maybe half of it is a forest reserve is protected, but the other half of it within the same bowl, so to speak, has been concessioned out for maybe a plantation. Mm. And plantations can't work with flooded conditions, right? Mm-hmm. So if you drain one half of the bowl, the other half would drain as well. So that's, uh, I guess, the major issue that most of the ASEAN countries are gra- grappling with when it comes to trying to conserve and keep uh, peatlands wet. Because keeping them wet is the first step towards actual effective conservation. Mm-hmm. If it, if you don't keep it wet, it's going to start to sink. Uh, it's got to start to dry up. When it starts to dry up, it's a much higher chance of burning. Mm. So... Yeah, that, that that needs to be properly dealt with at the land use management level with the governments, with the current landowners to see what can be done. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's maybe um, inadequate information as well on that level as well with regard to peatland management, would you say? At this point, I no longer think it's about inadequate information. Maybe not for Malaysia because I think we're quite uh, advanced in that. Okay. Uh, Indonesia as well, we know where the peatlands are, we know who the landowners are in that sense. It's a matter of... Um, trying to 
to to take back land, I guess. But uh. that would be a really harsh thing to do because uh, the concession owners didn't do anything wrong in, in having these concessions. Correct, <laughs> they, yeah. they were given up by the government. So how would we work a way out to settle uh, this sort of agreement on how to use the land in a way that is uh, hopefully not destructive mm. while still being able to compensate the current land concessions? Okay, so that's, and that I would say is an ongoing issue, right? Um, yep. Yeah, okay. Um, and can you also maybe uh, share with our listeners the, the association with peatland fires and uh, associated haze pollution? Can you, uh, you know, draw, put those ties together as Oh, well? yes, yes. I forgot about that. It's <laughs> very important, actually. So for the general city dweller, I don't think we would actually come across a peatland or realise we come across peatlands or have any relevance to it. Uh, most of our lives. But if uh, you live in Malaysia or Singapore or somewhere nearby in ASEAN, you would remember the uh, sort of annual episodes, or maybe not annual now, but regular episodes of haze that covers our city. It's usually during the dry season of the year, and that's usually mostly attributed to forest fires in peatlands. And uh, why this occurs specifically for peatlands is because um, the peat itself, when it's dried up, it's basically meters and meters of um, fuel waiting to burn. But because it's underground, it also means that um, when you burn it, it doesn't burn very efficiently. Mm. It produces a lot of uh, noxious chemicals, a lot of uh, haze and, and soot that just gets into the air. So the trouble with that as well is that you can't really put out the fire because it's so flammable underground. Yeah. You might have maybe one small farmer that accidentally burned a small area of the peatland and it can continue burning on for months underground and just show up somewhere else along this giant bowl of peat that could span like millions of hectares. Mm -hmm. So until it rains again, uh, you're more or less stuck with uh, smoking peatland that just goes on smoking and smoking for months. And I think, you know, last week we saw that, you know, there's quite a lot of haze going on. I don't know, would that be, uh, is that related in any way? Would you say, are there any active fires that we know about? I haven't been looking at the data recently, okay, but right. I think um, it's out there. If, if if it was, we'd be able to find traces of it. Okay. Just use uh, the MODIS data set online. They're available. Okay. All right. So so those are some of the issues as well. Um, what about uh, water management issues? Is that also something that, you know, if they, they were to become degraded, peatlands were to become degraded, would that have uh, an issue as well, water management? Yes, because peatlands act kind of like a, a sponge that, captures a lot of water, um, that they're swamps, right? So there's a lot of water contained in it, both when it rains through the canopy and, and also in the peatland itself, uh, in the ground where it acts like a sponge. But uh, when you take out the whole peatland, it's, it's the same as converting a forest into, let's say, concrete. Water runs right off the top. But for peatlands, it's even worse because it's like taking off a, however many meters thick layer of a sponge over such a huge landscape and then, let's say, having the same amount of rain just falling on there. Mm -hmm. So if you've been to a place where peatlands have recently been converted, you notice normally it's very, very, very hot. Okay. The, the, it's not just the, uh, the water that's, that's going to be an issue. It's also temperature regulation. Okay. All right. Uh, sorry, Mariam, that we've kept you out of the conversation. <laughs> no We're just going to go for a quick break. Thank you, Joe, for that 101. But when we come back, let's talk more about People for Pete. Let's talk about, you know, all the different projects that uh, you guys have been spearheading uh, together with the rest of the coalition over these last four years. Speaking today to Mariam Ghani, Stakeholder Engagement and Communications Manager from the Tropical Rainforest Conservation and Research Centre, or TRCRC, and Dr. Lee Jo Kian, Lead Analyst from TRCRC. We are talking about People for Pete today. Uh, we'll have more after this quick break. Keep it right here on Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9.
Welcome back. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Julia Jacobs. With me in the studio today are two, two lovely people from the Tropical Rainforest Conservation and Research Centre. Joining me, Mariam Ghani. She's a, she's the Stakeholder Engagement and Communications Manager and Dr. Lee Jo Kian. He is a Lead Analyst with TRCRC. The TRCRC were part of a coalition called People for Pete. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, at the start of this interview was a coalition who supported peatland communities in Southeast Asia. They were promoting sustainable use of peatland in ASEAN. Uh, the project Project has come to an end, uh, I believe, right after four years, and we're going to find out more about you know some of the things that they have done. Uh, Maria, maybe I can you know sorry you know we didn't have a chance to chat with you earlier, but maybe you can uh, remind us about uh, People for Pete and what that program was all about. Yeah, absolutely. So People for Pete essentially stands for uh, the program is called EU Super, which stands for the Sustainable Use of Peatland and Haze Mitigation in ASEAN. And our project specifically worked with non-state actors across eight ASEAN countries. And how that works is that. Our whole sort of thing is that we have three pillars that we're working on, right? So the first is to address the lack of data and information that has been available in these eight countries on peatlands. Mm -hmm. uh, the second being uh, business and investment uh, opportunities, as Joe mentioned earlier, right? And then the third being outreach and advocacy. And so that's that last pillar is really where me and my team have kind of taken on. Um, and over the last four years, especially during the pandemic, it has been quite a challenge. You know, yeah. you have exactly a very limited amount of time and a limited amount of funding to get this project done and to increase ultimately the the awareness and the advocacy across the region. Mm -hmm. So it's been a challenging time, but, you know, after the four years, I, I'm really quite proud of what, what the team has achieved and a lot of the engagements that we've conducted with our stakeholders across the region has been very, very heartwarming. Mm -hmm. And we've just come we've just come from Jakarta where we did our closing event and we heard from all of our different stakeholders who came across again all the eight countries. Mm -hmm. And we got to kind of meet them in person to hear from them, you know, how the project has impacted their work on the ground. And I think that that kind of took the cake for me. Uh. <laughs> that really kind of uh, sent it home for me about why this project has been so important and the impact it's had. Mm -hmm. And four years is no, you know, it's not a short time. But again, you know, the challenge there was, you know, two, two and a half almost years of pandemic exactly. time and not being able to work together. I mean, talk to me a little bit about uh, the challenges that the pandemic posed to people. For people. Yeah. So, of course, you know, when it comes to stakeholder engagement, you, it literally means to go out and engage with different stakeholders, right? Yeah, yeah. And when you're in a pandemic, you're you're grounded, yeah. right? Our team, we had you know budgets to fly across the region to do workshops, to do capacity building, but we weren't able to do that mm -hmm. for the whole two years. Um, and at the same time, uh, you're trying to to increase awareness, right? So thankfully, you know this this team, uh, this the way this project was run is that we actually had a full communications team. So I have an amazing team. You know, I have uh, executives, I've got a graphic designer, I've got people in publications and press. So it was a very unique position, I would say, to be in uh, because in other projects, especially in other NGOs, you have one person to do all the communications, yes. right? <laughs> uh, whereas this, I had a full team and we had a full budget to get things done. So over the pandemic, we what we ended up doing is, of course, everyone pivoted to digital, right? Mm. And for us, that's that's the same thing we did, except that a lot of our stakeholders, you know, there's eight different languages to cont contend with, right? Um, and so what we tried to do is we use social media a lot, right? Mm -hmm. We ended up growing our social media from zero to about, right now we're at about 2,000 followers. Mm -hmm. um, and over the last four years, we've managed to engage with at least 3 million people over social media, That's which, is quite, yeah, That's awesome. which is quite a lot. It is awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was pretty cool. So... 
ultimately, we also ended up crowdsourcing a lot of our sort of information and our uh, our content, mm. right? Because we're not allowed to leave the country. Mm. But guess who is already in the countries, right? It's our stakeholders. So we ended up running like a photo contest where we got everyone to send in their best photos of peatlands because we can't go. There's not enough stock images on the internet of ASEAN peatlands. So we asked people, we, you know, offered a small cash prize and we said, you know, send in your best, your best entries. And we got, I think in total over the two years, we got about 200 people from across the region Mm. sending in their, sending in their photos. Uh, And that, what better way is there yeah. to engage and to, to increase awareness of, of people uh, through that kind of engagement. That's wonderful. And can you sort of spell out who the stakeholders are exactly? So yeah, who the communities are that you worked with, all of Absolutely. that. Absolutely. So for us, I mean, we had a long list of people, right? So non-state actors are basically anyone who's not the government who are working and living and existing on peatlands. So for our team, we focused a lot on, you know, communities. So villagers who live on peatlands. Of course, on Joe's side, they focused on businesses who are operating on peatlands. Mm. Uh, and uh, in Malaysia, especially, you know, to, to kind of dial it down to Malaysia itself, we worked with a lot of indigenous communities as well because they ultimately are the stewards of the land and they have been for the for all Forever, existence, yeah. right? Yeah. So w- one of the programs that we did was a peat ranger training as well as a deployment program where we engaged with uh, communities who have already, or rather NGOs who are already doing the work, who've already been there for maybe like 30 years. Mm. And so we kind of provided that gap of like, we'll tell you what the knowledge is that you need to know about peatlands. You know, we have the science behind it. Mm-hmm. And what we want you to do is take this knowledge as your own community, kind of put it in your own language, put it in the own local context, and then share that across the, you know, across your community. Mm-hmm. And so we were, we successfully did that. We ran, I think, 24 different peat ranger deployments over the last uh, four years. And we had 42 peat rangers trained in, you know, peatland management, you know, we talked about water management, fire management and sustainable livelihoods. And then in the context of Malaysia, the the indigenous community was the one who ran the training in their own village. Oh, great. So we weren't even, you know, we were there, we were there to support, but we did not speak at all. <laughs> you know, we let them do the talking, we let them do, you know, their own advocacy. So really it was about empowering local communities to advocate for themselves and to advocate for peatlands because it's so so important, mm-hmm. right? Okay, so yeah. Okay, that sounds. I mean, that's really great. And I saw you know the one of the videos, the one that you did for the Ayahitam Utara Forest Reserve Excellent, in Moa, yeah. right? And uh, yeah. I, I did see the uh, one of the rangers who you uh, who you co- collaborated with. But let's talk about that series now. So it was called yes. the Peatland Tales Video Series. Uh, it was a collection of videos highlighting peatlands um, and all those different uh, countries that you worked in, right? Can you? Right. T- I mean, what better way than to put it in a video, right? So talk to me a little bit about that. Project. Exactly. I mean, so for. Uh, our project, our main thing was to increase awareness, right? And what better way is there to increase awareness than showing people videos? Because I think that, like Joe said, you know, the knowledge is there, mm. the data and information is there, but the awareness is what is lacking, mm. right? And so how do we make information like that more accessible? Is through stories, as, you know, of course you know. So it was about getting together people who are already working there and highlighting the work that they're already doing. And we did that across the different regions. So we we worked with communities on the ground. So, for example, in the Ayahitam community, we worked with, they have a volunteer fire brigade. They have, uh, you know, a university professor who's been working in that region already mm-hmm. and who really is very interested in the work that we do. So it's about creating those relationships and those collaborations. Right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And 
and amplifying it and highlighting it for the rest of the world to see of like, look, you know, it seems like an insurmountable problem, right? <laughs> Peatlands are burning everywhere. <laughs> Haze is happening. But look at what is actually being done on the ground and showing that you don't have to be like, you know, a fancy PhD environmentalist to, to make change. You can be, <laughs> you can be a, a person who's a volunteer at, you know, in the local fire brigade. You can be part of the sort of club Pinchinda Alam yeah, people yeah. Um, and you can do so much with just that. So I thought yeah. that was really impactful. And that's a lot of what our videos show is just what the community has done mm. for themselves. And that's what I loved yeah. about it. And you also had like forestry officials, you know, we always, I know I always talk bad about them in the show, but you know, it's nice <laughs> to see them. They were really like committed and very, very, very supportive. Very supportive. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that was, that was very key as well because we, we're kind of in a unique position where our engagements aren't typically with state actors. But of course, to enter any peatlands, to do any projects, you have to, yeah. you know, get permission and you have to work, you know, in collaboration with them. So when we did that and we got permission to go in and to shoot this video, they were extremely supportive. And yeah, in that interview, one of my favourite things, and I know this is kind of the... The, your segment is called this, which is yeah. It's one of Joe's favourite words, uh, favourite things to say as well. Yeah. And that was what the forestry director said uh, Yeah, too. I was very, I was like, yes, yes, you're right. <laughs> Branding, right? Branding. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's what we ended up doing with these videos. Yeah. And I think, you know, the other part that I liked was, you know, there was teachers there, you know, and they were like sharing that information. They were talking about how they need to, yeah, just let people know, right? Educate people. That's the, that's the most important thing. Like you said, everything is there. It's just we need to get people on board. Can we talk a little bit also about, um, I guess, uh, some of the videos from the other countries as well. So it's, it's it was from all the different countries that participated. Exactly. Right? So one. we have we have seven videos. We mm. worked in eight countries, but unfortunately, Myanmar we couldn't, of course, make make it to Myanmar. But every single other country. So me, and my team traveled to seven different countries, do seven different video shoots, uh, and again, you know, it's about identifying the the key people on the ground. Mm. Like I said, people who've already been working there, and. They, none of this would be possible without them, right? And the, the key message as well that we delivered during our closing ceremony is that we were just here for four years. Four years in the span of peatlands is nothing. Peatlands mm -hmm. are how many thousands of years old, right? Mm -hmm. And we want to, what we did is just kind of the beginning of things, of kicking things off, of increasing that awareness. But at the end of the day, it, it still is with those stakeholders, right? We're only here for a short time. We're doing our best to amplify what you guys do, mm -hmm. but they're the ones who do it. Yeah. So in each country, we identified, you know, for example, uh, Thailand, right? When we went to Thailand, we worked with a, a foundation called the Talanoi Wetland Foundation. Mm -hmm. And they have a founder and, and a secretary who are just absolutely passionate about peatlands. You know, you can talk to them about it for hours. But not only that is that they, they run these peat ranger deployments. And under our deliverables, there's only a maximum of maximum number of things we have to do, right? Like say two peat ranger deployments per country. Mm -hmm. But this man is just so passionate that he went out and he's, he's committed. He's like, you know, for the next five years, I'm going to run a bunch of peat ranger deployments and <laughs> increase awareness in Thailand about this issue. Wonderful. So, you know, they just, they just run with it. Okay. And we just are there for a short time to just shoot what they do on the ground uh, to inspire everyone. Mm -hmm. And how was that experience for you? Uh, Joe, I'm sorry, I'm ignoring you now. Um, were you also part of the video making process? Did you go to any of the different countries as well? 
Uh, not really in the video making process. Maybe one or two of them. I did shoot some B-roll film and <laughs> ask a few questions here and there. But nah, mo- most of it was done by the comms team. They're doing a great job without me. Okay, all right. But so that, and you know, because of that, those sort of enthusiastic community members, you know, really dedicated towards you, right? I mean, I suppose that's that's what we, we need to highlight as well, isn't it? You know, that there are communities really working to protect these areas. Uh, they're not as, you know, quote-unquote ugly or um, useless as uh, they are sometimes branded to be, um, you know, for, for all of these videos that you made, right? I mean, was there anything that was, I mean, being somebody who worked in this line for a while now, was there anything that was surprising to you? Anything that came as a, as a yeah, as a, as a new as new knowledge or something that was shocking for you, you know, through making these videos? Shocking? Not necessarily, but I, for me, I think in these videos, I was always just inspired, you know, not mm-hmm. to sound corny or anything, but genuinely, uh, because People are so passionate and every every single country that we went to, we were taken care of so well, right? People were so welcoming and they were so genuine in their care for, for us to, you know, they're so happy that we we're there, nice. right? Like, oh, you, you care about our peatlands in a way, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were really thrilled about that. Yeah. And it made for a really joyful work experience, right? Okay. And to, again, highlight what people are doing. And I think when we're in the Philippines, for example, we worked with a a business called Wild Wild Pigs, and so they operate a ecotourism farm on peatlands, mm. and it's run by a husband and wife, and there are three children, and nice. you know they've they've made their three children into junior peat rangers, right? Love it. So the, I think that that's what kind of inspired me, and also I guess you could, you could say it's shocking in a way because this whole time you're told nobody cares about peatlands, nobody wants to know about peatlands, but that their whole communities, uh, including like the young kids in the videos, you know, in Malaysia, in Philippines, in every every aspect of our our shoot, we found that young kids were involved yeah. as well. Yeah. And when we we're in Thailand, there's this whole program where they bring really young children into the peat forest and they each get like an activity sheet to identify, okay, this is a unique animal and you can only find in peatlands. So we followed them through the forest as they're looking around and discovering peatlands for themselves from imagine uh, the age of like three years old. Great. You have to get them young. Exactly. (laughs) And so we managed to capture that footage and, you know, speak to the founders of that program to talk about why, you know, why she's doing this and why it starts from that age. Mm -hmm. And also, I guess, you know, good ideas for us also to replicate uh, here, perhaps, you know, maybe. And, you know, even the videos, you know, can be used as educational tools in schools or... Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So they're all kind of shot in, in a way that's accessible. We try not to use any, you know, overly scientific terms, overly overwhelming. It's it's very much about the people stories mm-hmm. and what peop- everyday people can do. And I hope that's that's a takeaway from a lot of these videos is that you watch it and you feel like, oh, wow, if, you know, a three-year-old can play a part in protecting yeah. peatlands, like, what am I doing here? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so now that, that the videos are all available, I mean, how can folks actually go to, to watch them? Uh, what sort of platforms are they available on? Yeah, so People for Pete, even though our project is ending, our, all of our social media channels and our YouTube will stay running. So okay. people can find us on at People for Pete, uh, and that's on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and on and on YouTube as well. So all of our videos are available on YouTube. Okay. And people can also visit our website, which will also still be available, which is peopleforpete.org. Mm-hmm. And that's also where we have our newsletters and we have stories written from people on the ground. 
it's really a good way to get a snapshot of everything that's happening in the community. Okay, yeah. excellent. And, you know, for you, Joe, um, you know, now that the, the project has sort of concluded, or, the co- you know, this for now, I suppose, right? We're not sure what might happen in the future. I guess what happens next? Well, we, during the, the, the closing ceremony, we did talk about how um, this, this doesn't end with just the funding of the EU. Mm-hmm. It also goes to, like what Mariam said earlier, the, what the PFP has been here to do has essentially been to, to, to amplify what's already happening on the ground. We haven't exactly like created new projects, new businesses through our presence. Mm-hmm. It's more of getting there and pro- for, on my part in, with the business and investment, we were providing technical assistance and things like that. And on uh, Mariam's side of things, they were doing, telling the story. And I, I feel um, just going on with that, we've left the people that we've worked with in the business and investment pillar with more tools and more readiness than they had before to deal with things like finding investors, to deal with things like expanding their businesses, to make it more sustainable, etc. than when we first started. Mm. So to me, that is... Um, that's going to live on regardless of whether or not we're there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I liked uh, something that, that was put inside the, the, the final video that uh, the comms team did during the closing ceremony, and that is that you are the people for Pete. Mm-hmm. Essentially, we, we're here as a coalition to get some of these things started, but I don't think it was ever going to be us you know, overseeing everything and running the show for the rest of time. Mm-hmm. No one would be funding that. Unfortunately. <laughs> 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 like the, the truth is always these people were doing work on the ground. Yeah. We were there to tell the stories, make them known so people could find them and amplify their work further. Mm-hmm. It, like what she said earlier, uh, Mariam said about uh, being inspired from from the work that they do. I think that, that's something that needs to get out there because it's a very hopeless area to be thinking about conservation in general because mm. uh, we just hear the bad news all the time. Yeah. But these these really successful, inspiring stories are not being told enough. And getting them out there will inspire many, many different people, I hope, mm-hmm. to to look at it as a, a glimmer of hope to actually take action to do something because the NL, the, uh, what do you call it? Uh, analysis paralysis <laughs> is, is very real in mm. this area. Okay. And, you know, working with those businesses as well, I mean, were you quite, like, I guess, optimistic or were you quite uh, happy that, you know, they were quite open to collaboration and discussions? And, you know, we like to also vilify the businesses all the time, right? But, you know, most of the time, they just don't have the platform to sort of come together and speak, uh, you know, with all the other different stakeholders. I mean, was that something you experienced as well, that they are quite open to these things? I think we, we caught more of the the SMEs and the startups that okay. were, were trying different things to try to be more sustainable. They were trying to be more inclusive of local, uh, what do you call it, local community members and also mm. indigenous peoples. Okay. So in a sense, our program, uh, I guess, had a bias towards those kinds of businesses that were already going to try to do better for the people and for the environment. Okay. We didn't have... Um, maybe one or two affiliate members that worked on oil palm and even they were like fully RSPO certified. Okay. So right. I, I'd say that, you know, there's a mix of different businesses out there, but I, I'm, I'm genuinely surprised and um, blessed to know that there are so many businesses out there that are already trying to do so much on themselves. Okay. So when they came, came through the business hub and we got to connect them with uh, experts that could take their work to the next level, that could educate them and we could see the level of... Um, uh, respect they gave these people and listened to them and really tried to get the most out of them and it was really heartening to see. Okay. All right. Well, you know, guys, congratulations, you know, four, four years of hard work, uh, you know, working together through very, very difficult, like, you know, 
difficult times and, you know, such a success. Um, I guess, you know, uh, what would you like uh, people to to do now, now that the project has concluded? I guess, you know, just go and uh, check out all the different resources that you guys have provided, I'm sure. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the main thing that people can do, and for me, the, the closing message here is to increase your awareness of the importance of, of peatlands, mm-hmm. but also what people are already doing on the ground because I feel like as an individual, like Joe said, you you feel this kind of paralysis of what can I possibly do that would help the environment, right? Mm. But awareness is really very key because awareness then, you know, you spread that out to your your immediate network, say your your mom and dad, you just tell them about, oh, you know, I watched this video, it was really cool. There are all these people, they're working on peatlands. And then from there, it, it spreads out further, right? Then say your mom and dad go out, you know, they're, they're members of their local, you know, neighborhood watch or something. And then it, it just keeps compounding yeah. all of this this awareness. And from there, it it increases the the importance of peatlands overall, mm-hmm. I think. And so I would love people to educate themselves, to go watch, to go to our website, to go to uh, yeah our YouTube channel and just try and be inspired. You know, I, I don't know what you would end up getting out of that video. Hopefully it's something positive and mm-hmm. that you take that out into the world with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how about for you, Joe? Well, for me, it's two things. I think... Uh, Working with a fully decked out comms team with Mariam there <laughs> has been very different from the other projects that I've been involved with in the past where we maybe have one person, you know, multitasking across doing a little comms on the side. Yeah. And I, I believe that has put the human element back into conservation. Mm-hmm. Because when you rightfully said earlier, you know, there's so much more that people on the ground could be doing. You don't need a PhD to do things. And sometimes I feel like people with the PhDs are the ones that like to focus on the problems a lot. Guilty as charged. <laughs> <laughs> we know the problems very intimately and that's a problem. Yes, <laughs> it's true, it's true. Yeah. yeah. The second thing with that, I think, is uh, the, the, the business side of things. I feel that we've learned so much through the business hub trying to engage businesses that are trying to do things um, to improve the situation, to not just view peatlands as a wasteland, to not just view you know, people who are using the peatlands for, for economic means, to, to, to see them as a, you know, ostracized people who are not important in the scene, you mm. just, just talk to the government and get protection in order. That, that's not the only way to do things. And I, I find that having um, businesses that are sustainable, businesses that care, it's actually probably a more... Um, untapped area that could get a lot of uh, unprotected peatland areas, some level of mitigation against uh, degazentment, or sorry, not degazentment, this is unprotected, more um, to, to, to be degraded or drained to mm. the point where they're they're contributing terribly to climate change. Mm. So there's, To make those links as well, right? Yeah, yeah there's so much that, more that could be explored there. We, we did a whole policy brief about that. So that's also available on our website. But yeah, I, the, 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 the whole platform of having a peatland-specific uh, business accelerator program like that to connect existing expertise to work that's already happening on the ground to businesses that are looking for ways to do better. Mm-hmm. We need to provide that platform for businesses. Otherwise, um, without the expertise, without the connections and without the knowledge, they're just going to do what they can and what they can sometimes just isn't enough at this point. Mm. And the policy brief that you mentioned, right? I mean, are you also hoping to sort of like share that with the authorities? You know, are you working also, you know, to, yeah, to make it known to, I guess, you know, the ministries, for example, that are related to this? Right now, we've shared it with uh, EU and ASEC. Okay. It's more related to um, these these kinds of platforms to to actually 
give support towards business accelerator programs to to look at how you should fund programs like this and people for Pete. Okay. Uh, so different ways to try to, to make it more sustainable, both on the ground and for the secretariats to run these things. Sure. But I, I agree that there is some value in sharing with the government as well. But uh, we'll, we're going to have to make those engagements. Maybe we'll pass it to a component one who is actually engaging with governments. Yeah, yeah I think that's a great idea to do that. Um, I mean, so much hard work, right? Four years, you know, really with um, uh, Indigenous knowledge, part of it, you know, community knowledge, really integral, um, you know, I guess not really documented sort of knowledge now all put together. So I think that would be really, really helpful for a lot of people. Uh, I mean, for our videos, uh, what I want to highlight as well is that it's available in each local language. Okay, so that right. was also very key because, you know, what's the point of having a yes. language that nobody understands? understands yeah, right? yeah. So all of our videos are available in the local language of that country, followed by with um, English subtitles. Okay. So yes, I did watch, uh, I can't remember, La- I think I watched Laos. Yeah. I? Yes, I watched Laos when you shared that with me. That was really, really interesting. So yes, subtitles are there. So yeah, I guess we can get to see also what's happening around us in our neighbouring countries as well. Um, and yeah, just look for ways to, to, you know, make connections and to work together, right? That's Absolutely. that's the bottom line. Thank you so much, uh, both of you, for joining me today. I've been speaking to Mariam Ghani, Stakeholder Engagement and Communications Manager, who spearheaded the Peatland Tales video project. Also, Dr. Lee Jokian, lead analyst. Both of them are with the Tropical Rainforest Conservation and Research Centre, or TRCRC. If you'd like to find out more about the project, again, uh, as Maria mentioned, the w- websites to head to are peopleforpeat.org and just uh, search for them on social media, right? All That's the different. right. And you can also visit uh, TRCRC's uh, organisation too. Yes, so the, and the other website is of course trcrc.org. Do check them out and follow them on social media. If you miss any part of our chat today, you can always search for the podcast at bfm.org my slash earth or you can find it on the bfm app this has been earth matters on the bigger picture bfm 89.9 you have been listening to a podcast from bfm 89.9 the business station for more stories of the same kind download the bfm app